doing guys and welcome back to another episode of the Green Machine Podcast, your Irish football news, blunt and honest Irish football discussion and nostalgic throwbacks in the good times and in the bad times. So delighted to be joined today by David and Martin to discuss Mick McCarthy part two. So um, if you thought part one was juicy, how about part two lads, Euro 2000, heartbreaker. Yeah, I mean, just going through the notes here, I mean, I, I remember it being quite a, shall we say, colourful campaign, but going through the notes here, in a research, I had forgotten so much, but what an eventful uh, two years in Irish football this was. Madness. I mean, you've got bombing campaigns, you've got ethnic cleansing, you've got... Um, and that was just the football. That was just <laughs> football. You've got, you know, games being abandoned left, right and centre got tv rights issues you've got um you know brian hamilton turning down a role with the fai 24 hours after he accepted it um you've you got all sorts of stuff you've even got funny enough actually what, what we're going through today uh with james mclean and shane duffy but you also have irish players being racially abused uh via letters and all this kind of stuff so what a this was just a, an insane two years i can't i can't wait to get into it yeah, so we've come off the back of 1998, heartbreak against Belgium, and a load of drama off the pitch, like mad stuff. And Mick McCarthy, there's a bit of divide around the Irish fans about whether or not he's the right man. Because apart from the playoff loss, we we finished, what is it, 10 points behind Romania, something insane. Yeah. We've lost to Macedonia. Um, we've had a couple of close scrapes and games that we probably should have won. So um, as some of you... A lot of people listened to the Bernard O'Byrne interview that we did last week. And when we caught up with Bernard, he gave us his view on why he actually backed Mick. So we're just going to have a little listen to a clip of what Bernard actually told us in regarding to backing Mick. Yeah, he was under he, he was under pressure, definitely. Um, uh, and I like Mick and I've gone on well with him. And uh, But there was a move inside. It's funny. There'd be a lot of people would, you know, would would sit around on a committee in the FBI and they'd wait to see what way the land was shifting, and very quickly they could go from positive to negative. Um, but there was all that talk, and of course, you know, the papers were st- were stoking it up as well. Uh, I, I personally, I just felt kind of as a football person, I felt he deserved to get more time. That it was- so, lads, at the time. What was the mood like? What was the what was the climate? Because you know I was a child, so I can't remember this. But 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 what was the mood as we approached this new campaign? Was it one of hope? Was it one of negativity? Were people a bit bemused about Mick staying on? Were people hopeful? I I think it was one about it was really the jury was still out of Mick, um, from what I can remember. I would look at Mick at this particular time, pretty much where we were, where we are with Stephen Kenny, although probably a little bit further behind with Stephen Kenny because obviously the COVID situation and all that kind of stuff. Didn't Berner um, kind of Berner kind of drew a few comparisons with that as well, didn't he? I mean he said it, it's 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 a bit of a dragged out one, I think he said, but he, he did draw a lot of comparisons. He actually drew a lot of comparisons between Kenny and um and Kerr, but but for the most part he did compare the two of them. Yeah. He did he did compare where Mick was then and where Kenny is now. Yeah, I mean he thankfully um he saw that Mick to fire Mick or to not extend this contract uh, would have been akin to firing builders in the middle of a refurbishment because he made a bit of a mess. Yeah. That's how I would have looked at it. It would have made no sense. Um, he had a massive job in his hands, like Kenny does right now. He had a massive job in his hands, had a massive rebuilding job. 
and there was a little bit of hope coming the performance against Romania away uh, the one against Brussels away was, was quite good as well so against Belgium and Brussels away it was quite good so there was hope it wasn't as if we got worse as it went on we actually got better and we'll continue to get better as well we three games just prior to that qualification campaign so the first one is of note if you think about it Czech Republic because two of our finest ever players made their debut Damien Duff and Robbie Keane yeah um I, I don't know if Martin got to see this or Martin went to it but uh, there was no way for us to watch it uh, in Ireland or anywhere um, in fact RTE it's a shame really because you can't even find footage of it. I don't think there is actual footage of this game and it was Duff's and Robbie Keane's debut because uh, RTE turned down the opportunity to uh, air the match because they were go- the offer wasn't to oh yeah like check TV showing it and then you can just sort of buy the rights and go off that and put your own graphics or whatever no it was actually the only intellectual property of the entire match so RTE would have had to flown over their own crew commentary cameras and a whole lot and I went no we're not doing that and funnily enough he said the interest just wasn't there at the time which is kind of ironic um and yeah it's just a real real shame that we don't actually have anything um to show for this footage wise but I remember hearing that Keen and Duff played quite well and I think Mick said at the time that they absolutely scared the living daylights out of the Czechs because they sort of went from being in Brian Kerr's under 21s and under 18s actually I think yeah. and then all of a sudden they're thrusted into uh, they, and much badly needed Mark Kennedy wasn't doing the business a left winger so we needed a left winger boom there's Damien Duff uh, we'd obviously lost John, lost John Aldridge because, you know, he wasn't too pleased how he was treated. Fair enough. Keith O'Neill, I think, was, was on the way out. Robbie Keane comes in. So it was actually perfect. It was perfect timing. And right right guys at the right time. Yeah, I remember this. It was quite a good... It was quite an exciting time. Because I think in that summer, the under-20s had won the European Championships as well. So, you know, Duff and Keane coming into it was quite exciting. Because we were thinking they'd they'd achieved as well won competitions and it was just brilliant to see them actually making the breakthrough and, and getting into the senior team. So there was a lot of hope in Irish football, really, even at the, the youth level, which was really great to kind of see. I, as well, like you were saying, David, about the TV rights and stuff, this was a period really weird in London of uh, my mum and dad had pubs for years and um, basically to watch these games, we'd have to call up. There was no such thing as like Sky and everything like that then. Um, to show these games with the rights and you would call up a kind of uh, unauthorised TV satellite guy and he would come in and um, he could kind of find the signal from wherever the country was, link it with your satellite dish on your roof and then you could show the game then. So it was brilliant because a lot of the London Irish pubs um, used to be able to show the games, basically. It was brilliant. It was a really good time (laughs) to to see that. The original dodgy box. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was mad. Though. But I remember you'd have, to call the, you'd have to call the guy out and, and get the signal all done. So, um, but that, that was a known thing back then. I know he was even some games later on and uh, a couple of years later, even far off uh, east when we would be playing, you'd, you'd be looking at, um, or west, should I say, you, you would be looking to get the guy in to kind of find the signal to show the game because RTE just didn't really have a lot of interest in it. I always remember, like, even during the Charlton era, He'd be coming in and going, I'm sure, because, you know, obviously there was no internet. We didn't have teletext on our telly till like the late 90s. <laughs> we, used, we used to get the rental tellies, funny enough. And I just remember you'd come in and my brother, brother would be like, oh, I know we're on a plane or, you know, we're on a plane. And you'd normally switch it on or to around the time, but your three o'clock kickoff and you'd kind of hope it would come on. 
if you didn't have the the RT guide or whatever. And I remember sometimes you go in, and my brother would have the game on the radio because it was the, the only way you could follow it because RT just didn't. Sometimes there'd be no rhyme or reason with RT qualifiers, yes, but they just wouldn't have friendlies. They just a bit like Roy Keane, you know, we don't do friendlies. <laughs> it's strange that um that there was no interest. Yeah, you know, considering where things went a few years later, but. That Argentina game at home, Robbie Keane's home debut and his first start, that was kind of considered as one of the turning points in the McCarthy era. So even though it was a friendly and even though we lost, we seemed to play quite well. And from that, there was a bit of momentum. So we played Mexico after that. It was a nil-all. What, what do you remember from that game? Uh, not much. We wore orange, I believe. I remember, what, funny enough, to show that game. And yeah, it was a really, really boring game of football. Just to touch back on the Argentina game, though, about that. I always rem- I remember... I, I just remember watching that match going, yes, there's there's something has happened here. We've just witnessed something here. And I remember that was a very, very good Argentina side. Uh, they were beaten by a brilliant Holland team that summer World World Cup. They had Ortega. Batistuta scored two goals for Argentina. And Ortega scored a screamer. Honestly, if you're listening to our lads, I just, just go out and find that on YouTube. He scores an absolute gorgeous goal. And Robbie Keane, yet again, probably like what he did in, in, uh, against the Czechs, he just terrorised the Argentinians. And I remember, I always remember the quote from George Hamilton where uh, the, the fans were actually chanting Kino. <laughs> he said, well, it's been a long time since Lance and Road have chanted Kino. Um, but <laughs> but as we covered in the last episode, but yeah, it, you, you just felt, you just felt there was like a bit of swagger about the team. And obviously Mexico didn't carry through, but I know we're going to go on to the next match after that. It's funny because at a primary school, I think I was in first class at the time, but my teacher was big into football. And I remember him saying, oh, the Argentinians had, uh, had blankets all over their legs because they were so cold. Just my Probably my only memory from, from that match, it was that long ago for me, you know, it's only only a chiseler. So we start off the campaign, lads, and couldn't have started it better. So Croatia, third in the world, number one seed, as far as I remember, come to Dublin. We beat them 2-0, and they end up with nine men. So the McCarthy era is certainly underway, and all of a sudden, we probably think that we're about to win the Euros. So, talk us through that game. Uh, I I just remember um, just not really letting Croatia get out of the blocks. Really, they they just yeah. didn't get started. We took a quick lead. Uh, Dennis Irwin with a penalty in the second minute. Roy Keane with a header in the sixteenth. He was made captain at this point. He was officially made the captain, and he actually got a man yeah. in the match. And this was his return, I, I believe, after his um, after the injury. Yeah. yeah, but I just remember. Um, I'm funny you mentioned that about uh, the reaction after this. It wasn't all that positive either, by the way. Uh, for, you know, I think it was treated more like a, a fluke. I think for those on the outside kind of looking in, they thought it was a fluke. Uh, this is just a fluke you win. I remember having around my uncle about this, who was a big football fan, didn't really like Mick McCarthy in the job, would um, actually, <laughs> he would be pro Roy Keane later on when all that kicked off. And he was like, ah, no, we were very lucky to win that. And I think we've just beaten a very, very fine Croatian side here, uh, 2-0. And I remember a couple of days later in school, the teacher, I got in trouble, actually, because the teacher turned around and went, oh, yeah, well, you know, aren't you, you know, aren't a very good team? Oh, well, no, well, sorry, we used to, like, we're not really good at the moment. And I, I was like, excuse me, miss, but, you know, we just beat Croatia 2-0. Ah, well, who's Croatia? Like, you know, the Harley Brazil. Like, I'll tell you who they are. <laughs> yeah. And then, I got the world. Yeah, I think yeah. this is this is a kind of 
a kind of similar kind of thing to reaction to a lot of people who perhaps watched Ireland in the in in the kind of background of their kind of mind in a way that you know they kind of followed the results in the good times yeah. when they're at World Cups or, or at high profile games you kind of follow the exploits of Ireland but that, this was a hell of a result like they'd come off the back of the World Cup and were third third of the world and yeah. I know they were missing uh, Davo Suka probably their main striker he'd come back to haunt us later on but you know they missed him um, but Keane was was good, great in this, and it was brilliant to have him back. And you know he was a shaven-headed Keane. He he kind of meant business. This was this was a real this was going to be a key year for Keane. Um, I know sometimes I'll probably be accused of Man United bias on this, but like this this season, Roy Keane came to the fore for Man United and for Ireland, I think as well. Um, he stepped up really as captain, scored a goal here. His reaction to it's really good as well. If you watch the watch the video. Um, but if this was a great result, I think, uh, you know, beating them after they've come off the back of the World Cup. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I think he, this was a real good result. This was a top result. I mean, I, I think you get, you're 100% right there, Martin, about people kind of looking at this going, oh, you know, it's it's not Brazil, is it? It's not a sexy name, yeah. you know. Like, you think Brazil, you think Germany, Italy, you know. This is Croatia. Ah, fucking Croatia, like Eastern European team. Sure, how good can they be? You know, like, they were a fine, fine team. And it wasn't for political strife in the old Yugoslavian state which included Croatia and Yugoslavia uh, with a football team together that you could have been looking at world champions easily in your mm. European champions in 92 and he could, if they weren't thrown out and they could have been uh, world champions in 94 they had a team that was that good you know Boban, Boxic, Shukar, um, Mihailovic all these players like they all played together you know I, I, I can't remember a great deal but I remember they had a fine side and yeah, I, I think with Roy Keane as well. Roy Keane under Charlton wasn't great, and he wasn't. He had the odd good match, and then it was times under the early days at Mick where you didn't know where he was going forward or going back. And I think the game in Macedonia where he was he was like a headless chicken a bit, just running around the place trying to do too much, probably because he didn't believe in the talent around him. Mm. But is this is, is this the, where is this where four four two was really nailed on? Like this yeah. is the way for because. I mean, we spoke in the last episode. Mick was playing three at the back, playing five at the back. There was calls for four or two. Yeah. So, yeah. so this this probably showed that it was nailed on, and it was the way that was going to define how we play football for the next yeah. piece as well. Well, it, well, it, well. Look, we can argue that. Uh, can <laughs> that it, yeah. Well, well, we can argue that it outstayed as welcome. I mean, Trapattoni would move from four four two when when world football had changed. But for the most part, it yeah. showed that. Um, you know, two up front, four man midfield, accommodating Keane as that box of box player yep. was the way, way forward and did define us for the next few years. We were learning. And, and you know, you had a manager learning on a job. You had a team learning on the job. Uh, you had Roy Keane, who was a captain learning on a job. As Martin rightly says, this was the, the, the maturity of Roy Keane. He had come, you know, we'd always known he, was a, he could be a great player. He could be a great player. This is, he is a great player. And he was yeah. a ph- phenomenal player from here on in. It was the maturity. He was coming out party really for Roy Keane here. And we would obviously benefit throughout the group. Yeah, I think this is the way as well. I sum this up. It's kind of, this was Mick kind of stepping out. This is Mick's team. He, he's yeah. a lot of them other lads. I mean, Cascarino's all right. He's hung on a bit. Uh, I know Andy Townsend's gone. McAteer's over from 94. So is Roy. So is Dennis Irwin and Phil Babb. You know, I know there's others as well. But this was an exciting time. We had two young forwards who were making reputations uh, in, in English football. You know, Robbie Keane had come in and was tearing up at Wolves and then Coventry. So, you know, he, he and then a year later, he got his move to into Milan. So this was an exciting time. I think this was, again, we had 
promising Irish footballers, but for playing at top level in England as well. Do you know? Do you know who was available? Actually, lads, just doing the research, I didn't put on the notes. Uh, Ray Houghton, funny enough, yeah. was still available. Yeah, he was still available. Yeah. I actually have, I did, I don't know if it was the football team I was on at the time or if I did a football camp and they, they were giving out these free Opal team photos and yeah. it, of Euro 2000. So this must have been, Jesus, this must have been 1998. And um, Houghton is in that photo. Yeah. Houghton is in that team photo yeah. for the, I know like squads change as a European qualifier goes on, but Houghton is in that initial squad picture. And he looks yeah. ancient in it, by the way. I remember oh, yeah. looking. I remember looking at it as a kid and saying, "Oh my God, look at that old man!" <laughs> yeah, he, he was still available because uh, Mick he had an understanding that right, I'm going to go with the younger people, but if I need you, you're still there. So he never actually retired after the game in Brussels, but he never played again, obviously. And Barracascarino, I mean, it's it's that whole rejuvenation, and as he mentioned, RTE were acknowledging that people maybe weren't as interested as they were in 1990, 94, but there's just a little clip, a, a pre-match interview that we have with Mick just acknowledging how young that team was a lot of people commented before the game that this was a young team so you must be particularly pleased the way they held their composure when Croatia certainly seems to be losing theirs yeah I, I, I was particularly pleased and, and I changed it around I took the two young lads off that everybody recognises potentially big stars for us but in fairness we, we're not that experienced in international football and certainly not experienced in those sort of situations where the team's down to nine men and we need to have to kill it. But to be fair, I put my three subs on. I, I would have actually changed it and put another forward on when they went to nine men, so we could have threatened them a bit more. But uh, we are young and inexperienced as such. We get in there. I think it's improving. I said that was what I wanted. That's the team I wanted. That was the start we all wanted. So, lads, an emphasis on, on the youth in that Irish team and naturally the likes of Roy Keane, the likes of Dennis Aaron leading that and Tony Cascarino in his, in his later years and so on. But... Was this kind of a coming-of-age campaign for that squad, with the bulk of them being part of the 2002 campaign? I, I think it was, um, as I said, you know, bringing the top seeds to Dublin in your opening game with a couple of lads who've only just had two or three caps. Robbie's, like, chomping at the bit to kind of get started in an Irish shirt. And, and if you get a result against the top seeds in that campaign, you are off to a fantastic start. And I think that was it. It was Roy King set the marker, man of the match, I'm official captain. I'm going to lead this team to the Euros. And that was it, basically. And they really did kick on from there. But with all the political turmoil in the background, I think that was the problem. Didn't really help us at all with that, to be honest, which I know will come on the cover. But I think this was a real key season and some of the dates are really relevant on on how the campaign um, worked out for us. Yeah, and in between the Croatia and the Malta game, uh, a bit of the first major bit of controversy or the first major bit of drama in this, this campaign so david you're um you're a war enthusiast uh, not, <laughs> not, not 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 in the sadistic kind of way uh, but in the um in the more historical point point of view so talk us through what was going on in serbia at the time and how this impacted or yugoslavia at the time and how this impacted on our qualifiers well, yeah, basically, um, at the time, uh, Serbian, well, Yugoslavia was a state, obviously, made up of Estonia, um, Serbia, Croatia, Bosnia-Herzegovina, uh, Albania, I think, Kosovo and Macedonia. And essentially, back, this went back to the 80s, late 80s, where uh, Milosevic could not, just hated the Muslims, couldn't stand them. 
and he wanted rid of them and he tried to get rid of them in the late 80s. That went on to the Bosnian War because Bosnians obviously have Muslims in, amongst his population and all this kind of stuff. And then because of that, subsequently they were thrown out of Euro 92 after qualifying. Denmark went in their place and won it, as uh, if you can believe that. Well, anyway, um, after the peace in Bosnia, um, the uneasy peace in Bosnia after the civil war there in the late, about 96, 97, I think it was a treaty signed in 95, but you really start to kind of see that around 96, 97. The peace w- was there. And then all of a sudden, Milosevic turned his attention to Kosovo again. And he was back up to his old tricks. So you just had a lot of ethnic cleansing going on. It was it was a horrible thing. It was kind of a throwback to World War II with the Nazis and the Jews. And it was just dreadful. And, you know, we never, history repeats itself constantly, as we will find out. And basically, NATO wanted to get involved and says look you can't do this the un were worried at the time because he didn't want a russian intervention with an alcoholic boris yeltsin with his finger on the on the uh on the bomb and they just said right fuck it we're gonna we're gonna go in and we're gonna sort this out so it was around this time in october now we were due to play um yugoslavia in belgrade on the 10th of october and it was around this time that nato were basically saying Get your troops out of Kosovo, stop what you're doing, or we're going to get involved. We're going to blow the shit out of Belgrade. And it was like, will they, won't they, will they, won't they? And then basically UEFA then threatened Ireland that, look, if you don't travel for this, this is on the 2nd of October. If you don't travel on the for the game on the 10th, you know, we could, uh, we could kick you out of the tournament. Because, you know, your safety is absolutely fine. Your safety can be guaranteed. Then on the 5th of October... UEFA end up postponing the fixture because they're saying, sorry, your safety can't be guaranteed. And that was re- that was pushed back to the following November, which is kind of ironic because Shea Given had actually travelled to Belgrade with Newcastle the previous week and everything he said everything was fine. But it was when you have a war going on, when even if it's not in Belgrade and if it's in Kosovo and you have military planes and you have shit going on like that, you don't really want to be in a passenger plane flying around that. Because as we learned with, with certain things like with the with what happened with Ukraine in Crimea, uh, airspace, I think it was, and a Malaysian airline got flown, uh, got uh, missiled. Shit happens. Accidents happen. And you don't really want to be near that. And I just found it mind-boggling that UEFA just wouldn't get involved and just grow a pair and take the lead on it. But they sort of, during this period, we're going to learn that they uh, sort of made life very, very difficult um, for the Irish during this period. I mean, this is just, we're literally that's just scratching the surface here. Yeah, so then Ireland managed to beat Malta 5-0, where Christopher Davis came out with the, the, the interesting quote in the Telegraph laugh and reading this that Robbie Keane comes from an area that's so rough that Dobermans walk around in pairs fantastic stuff <laughs> Jesus Christ no offense to anyone from why don't Tala, we have Kenny that... on the podcast <laughs> <laughs> oh Jesus so yeah then brings us up to the actual rearranged fixture against Yugoslavia in Serbia the 1-0 loss so talk us through that lads um, well I remember this was the first game that TV3 showed and this was because they had struck a deal with the FAI. I think it was one million pounds, Irish pounds, to show all five away games. And I, for me, this was very, very unusual because all, every Ireland game was always shown in RTE. And I didn't like it one bit, if I'm honest, because, you know, I love my Dunphy and I love my Bill and all that. And I, I found the whole thing very, very bizarre. But what I do remember 
is that there was a massive amount of controversy before this game where if a game gets postponed like this did in October. Now, Iron was supposed to play a friendly around this time. And there's a thing called the uh, five-day rule where you can go, at the time anyway, where you go to FIFA and said, look, I don't, want my, I don't want our players playing for five games, for five days around this fixture because I don't want them getting injured. And we were having massive problems with the first division teams. Matt Holland, I think, was one of them, Charlton. And they were like, no, we're going to play them. And FIFA basically failed to invoke, to, to implement their own rule against Ireland, uh, against the Irish players playing at the uh, first division clubs, which was a massive pain in the arse. And, yeah, I just remember the, the game itself was a very good performance by Ireland. We should have got a point. Probably could have won it, actually. We're very good. Yugoslavia didn't do much to trouble us. Uh, I remember it being a Gary Breen howler where the ball went over and he just he he completely mistimed his jump. Like, he literally jumped far too early. Ball went over him. And then Steve Staunton was sort of like, uh, what the fuck? And then he just struggled and he failed to clear it. And that was it. Boom, 1-0. And we were, we were very unlucky in that game. So that kind of uh, stunned the momentum a little bit. And then... Again, more off-the-field controversy just after that. So the FAI in the December of 98 refused a testimonial for Ray Houghton and John Aldridge. So if Aldridge wasn't pissed off as, enough as it was, all of a sudden they're, 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 um, they're refusing them a testimonial. So the original rule, wasn't it, for a testimonial was 50 caps, where yeah. now it was 75. And I think Houghton was just one or two off on 73. So... Um, wasn't Mick giving one on 57 caps? So how did that go down? Does anyone know how that went down? Because I, I certainly am a chair myself, but we know Aldridge um, from our last episode that you know Mick got in his tits as it was. No, I, 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 don't, I actually don't remember this happening. If I'm honest, I was a bit, sh- I was a bit dumbfounded by the when I came across this. I mean, that's a slap in the face, though, isn't it? I mean, John Aldridge, like Ray Houghton. Well, well, given the circumstances of the year before. Yeah. You know, yeah. Aldrich, Aldrich saying that the the crowd were calling for his name in the in the nil all, and that's all they needed against Iceland, and he might have been able to nick one, and then storming off saying he's done, so an unusual one. And just another another thing to know, Kenny Cunningham was named Player of the Year then, 1998, Ooh. and we finished 58th in the world rankings, which Ooh. by today's standards is is fairly shit. Could you imagine? Imagine if Stephen Kenny was 58. See, this is this is this yeah. is why I was actually talking parallels. To yeah. I was talking to a follower of the page there at Lansome Road today, and we're kind of having a sort of like on and off argument. He doesn't like Stephen Kenny in a role. I'm pro Stephen Kenny in a role for the moment, of course, until he deems that he, till it's deemed that he's not fit for it. And I remember just saying, like, you know, back then, Ireland, you know, people go back and go, oh, Mick had this great team. We didn't know that then. We didn't know that then. It was starting to come together for him. And, you know, 58 in the world rankings. Imagine Stephen Kenny now with his team, 58 in the world rankings. To be I'd be, it'd be absolute uproar. But with Roy Keane, with Dennis Irwin, you know, well, that, puts yeah. it, that puts it into context, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, to be but, 58 in the world with Stephen Kenny's side, I mean, you've got all the Kenny outers punch, and so on, but, but, but you say fair enough. Yeah, but you say fair enough. Maybe that's a fair reflection of where we are at the moment, especially when you're never scoring a goal. Well, for McCarthy, it must have been a lot tougher because you've got Keane, you've got Irwin, you've got these these top-class players. Yeah. And it's he, a very difficult place to find yourself in. Although you did have Keane missing for an entire year. That's, that's true. It was a cruciate. Yeah. And he had a very, very, if I remember correctly, uh, the I think it was a part of the Mexico game, he had a very, um, 
you know, very, very mixed relationship. Sorry, it was the Argentina game in a very mixed relationship with Dennis Irwin. I think that's when he told him to, to he needed to prove himself. Yeah. He, for, I don't know why, but Mick just wasn't sold on Dennis Irwin. Yet Dennis Irwin's one of the finest fullbacks to ever play the game. But for whatever reason, he just wasn't. I don't know what went on there. Yeah. And then starting off 1999, so Ericon Park, which we spent a lot of time talking about earlier in the week, the, the plans for that were unveiled. And then there was a bit, little bit of intervening time between the next qualifier against Macedonia. So we played Paraguay in a friendly, beat them 2-0, beat Sweden in a friendly 2-0 as well. But prior, or sorry, after the Sweden game and echoing even a couple of things we spoke about with Bernard the other day, Combat 18, which I learned during the week, is 18 because A is the first letter in the alphabet and H is the eighth, so Adolf Hitler. Um, just a little bit of irrelevant trivia and a bit of, <laughs> seeing as we're speaking about sadistic and war and you know all that kind of stuff. But Combat 18 had sent threatening letters to Roy Keane and Dennis Irwin. So at a time when we're when we're speaking about the abuse that James McLean is getting, and even today, I know this episode won't go out till the weekend, but even today, abuse that Shane Duffy is suffering, um, sectarian abuse, it's it's just showing that this was alive and well back in 1999. Uh, I don't think it it was always alive and well. I think there will always be those um, that will just, no matter what you do, will, will hate Muslims, will hate Irish, will hate... Doesn't matter what colour you are, they'll just hate people. And yeah, these are obviously the guys that were involved in the, the riots in '95 that came over. And yeah, I think the letter said, "Go back to your bogs." You know, go back to Ireland to your bogs. I mean, Roy came from the city, so that, that yeah. shows you. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's just just mindless idiots, really, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, you know, that that shouldn't be reflective. On obviously the entirety of England. Oh, absolutely not. It's a very absolutely welcome. It's, it's actually probably one of the more welcoming countries, if I'm quite honest. Um, well, Combat 18 is is pro-Nazi. You know, they're more they're more Nazi Germany than than England, to be brutally honest. Yeah, I, I kind of remember this, and I think it got a lot of traction with Dennis Irwin and Roy Keane because this was um, an historic year for Man United, where you yeah. know they were they they Roy Keane probably put in one of his most famous performances for Man United in Turin in that April um, when against Juventus and uh, then was going to be suspended for the final. But it was a lot of high profile um, profile around that Man United team and Irwin and Keane were, were two of the greatest players in that team. So um, when the threat started coming, I know it did get a lot of, um, got a pre- lot of press over here as well because they, you know, it was a Man United was such, such as their profile, so it, it was something that was obviously relevant and stuff. And I just think all the all the political kind of nonsense that was going on, on in the world at the time as well um, gave a lot of traction. But um, yeah, yeah, I mean, sadly, like we're still experiencing it today, aren't we? So it's just bloody nonsense. I know, but they had to send it by letter. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Probably put, yeah. probably put like a little wax seal on it as well. Like you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. A little eighteen on it. Even prior to that Sweden match, lads, we played Paraguay in a friendly and we were actually due to play Macedonia on the 27th of March in Skopje. But the game was actually postponed. So another postponement due to a bombing campaign by NATO, which began on the 24th. So even more political unrest leaking into our football matches. Yeah, um, I mean... (laughs) 
yet again, you had this going on. How Yugoslavia weren't thrown out of this tournament to this stage. At the end of the day, okay, there was civil unrest in 1990-91 when they were thrown out of Euro 92. Um, but this is like their country is going on a campaign of ethnic cleansing. And obviously NATO decided, right, we're not going to stand for this. As I said earlier on, and we're going to, you know, we're going to go after you. It just boggles the mind that, you know, on the 23rd, sorry, on the 24th of March, it took the Irish foreign minister, David Andrews, to put out uh, Irish citizens do not travel, which basically forced UEFA to abandon the fixture. UEFA didn't want to take any uh, responsibility for this. They didn't want to take the lead on this, you know, because their whole thing is, oh, well, it's football, it's not politics. Well, it's bollocks, because if you have a, you know, if you have this going on, it puts your game. It makes it makes the game look a bit stupid, doesn't it? You got people losing their lives um, in all sorts of circumstances, and then you know you've got this little football game going on. And yet again, Macedonia is on the very end of the Balkan Peninsula, or is near thereabouts. However, if you've got fighter jets going in and blowing the shit out of Belgrade, you can't really have passenger jets going in you shouldn't have passenger jets going in i know the macedonians are very no no life is normal here but you, ju- you just can't take that risk and it it just seems a little bit perverse you know we're gonna have a football match in an area where there's bombs literally fighter jets blowing the shit out of buildings and it just seemed crazy but yeah it took the foreign minister to abandon that it, which is a real shame um i'm gonna kind of t- sort of jump out of the real world and just merely look at the football but uh, Unfortunately, we didn't play from a very selfish point of view. We didn't play Macedonia and Skopje there in March because obviously then that meant that we were going to have to push the fixture back to the very last fixture back in October of the campaign. Do you feel as that these political issues going on off the pitch had a big impact on the results on the pitch and possibly stirring the momentum of the team? Because you have that start against Croatia and then even the, the win against Malta, it's momentum. Do you feel that all that momentum was sucked out due to all these rearrangements and due to all this unrest. Yeah, I'd imagine it play a part because it's like, will you, won't you? You're, you know, you, you got the whole issue down with your. You had uh, Matt Holland, you know, and he was, sorry, Mark. Kins- yeah, you had Matt Holland, and I think you had Mark Kinsler as well. Sorry, um, yeah, not Kinsler. Yeah. yeah, Kinsler. I said Holland earlier on by mistake. You know, he, he would have been at the in the middle of a club versus country row. And that is because of all these postponements. So you have little things, you have little things like that, you know. Yeah. So, so yeah, it, it was a massive pain in the arse because you've literally got the team together, they're ready to go, they've done all the prep, and then all of a sudden you're told, and it wasn't like weeks in advance. I mean, this is three days before the match is supposed to take part. Boom, you know, it's not happening. And the same thing happened before the Yugoslavia game in October, and then we ended up going to, uh, and we ended up losing that match. You know, probably they would argue that would that would happen. Um, you know, when they eventually came to Dublin, I don't know, but yeah, I, I can't imagine it's good, Nick. I, I'd imagine that would just put everything up in the air, made it probably very disjointed. I think it did, yeah. I think it brought all the games quite close together as well, like key mm-hmm. games, and and it it kind of just it was like having a load of friend. Well, it was a load of friendlies in the middle of when there should have been a friendly competitive game, friendly competitive, and it just messed it all up. And when we even played Northern Ireland in that Omar um, charity game at the end of May. Um, but, you know, there's lots of games and I can see Roy didn't play in a lot of them either. Um, but it just really did 
interrupt completely the kind of momentum and what he was trying to build. Okay, you could argue that he had an opportunity then to bring in young players and try them out. But, you know, when you're in the mindset of you've got to win and you're trying to qualify for tournaments um, and keep that momentum going, if you've got games cancelled and you don't, if you're playing next week or you're, you know, you're going to be called by your club to play this or they don't want to release players, um, that that's just going to impact on you, I think. It just shows the fine margins because, I mean, the amount of last-minute goals, you kind of wonder if there was a momentum or a flow of games, what would they have happened? Look, that's serious hindsight, but what would they have happened? So that leads us into May of 1999, where Northern Ireland beat us 1-0, where, as David, as you said off-air, they probably have a DVD of that somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I remember there was a bit of stick about that, all right. Uh, It was was a fine goal, but it looked like more like a tackle from Emmer. It just sort of went... Lighting up as well, wasn't it? Lighting up in the yeah. game. Yeah, like so. Uh, uh, that was very disappointing that match, not because we lost. I mean, the result does mean any doesn't mean much to be fair. Uh, but I remember it was a very poor turnout because obviously all the proceeds of the game were, was going to go to the Oma Fund, which was yeah. a dreadful, dreadful, um, the the biggest loss of life in the uh, in the troubles. I actually took over from the Dublin bombings. It was an awful thing to happen. It shook the whole country both sides of the border and nobody really wanted to go out and you know sort of give money to which I thought was a bit disappointing but yeah it's as I said they probably have a DVD of it the IFA somewhere but as a result it it, it meant nothing and it didn't uh, it didn't do anything for momentum uh, for or against really so then the time elapses from the Yugoslavia match which was meant to be on the 5th of June and just have a little quote here from from Mick himself. So he was saying on the possibility of the Yugoslavia game going ahead, if the roles were were reversed, I could do a Mick McCarthy accent, but I think I'll make a <laughs> fool of myself. So if the roles were reversed and we were going to Yugoslavia and my granny's chippy in Waterford was bombed, I think I'd have a point to prove. So I think oh, that yeah. kind of that kind of puts it into perspective. So um so the government at that stage have refused the Yugoslavia team visas. Mm-hmm. That was causing fears that Ireland will be thrown out of the Euros altogether with, with this government intervention. So in the end of it all, Ireland were fined twenty four thousand euro, which um, I wonder if John Delaney paid for that. <laughs> I doubt very much he paid for anything. Uh, <clears throat> so I'll probably cut that bit out before I get sued. Um, I, I remember <laughs> this. This was a massive story, and yet again, yet again, um, you know. Nobody really wanted it was still happening. The game wasn't going to be shown in uh, Serbia. They were going to, the FAI said, we're not going to give the rights to Serbia because this isn't right because they were still doing what they were doing. It was still going on. And yeah, they were just like, look, this match shouldn't happen. UEFA insists it goes ahead. The government threatened to, re- to refuse the visa to the Yugoslavia team. At that stage, the FAI can't do anything, and they're kind of off the hook in a way. But then, of course, some did feel that uh, the reason why um, I shouldn't laugh, that the FAI wanted to fix your cancels because Roy Keane was injured. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how true that is. But that was the feeling. I'm, I'm reading this from the Irish Times, by the way, so please well, don't well, say Well, we did want a 33rd team in 2010, so I wouldn't put it past them. I wouldn't put it past them at the time. Um, But no, countries at war, it's doing that. that, We shouldn't be having anything to do with Yugoslavia um, at all, you know. And yeah, we we did think we were going to be thrown out. It was a very real possibility. And thankfully, thankfully, 
UEFA kind of thought, right, look, you know, we, we you know we haven't really we haven't really done anything here for for the Irish. We, you know, we'll cut them a break here, and yeah, it was just twenty four thousand pounds, and then we just had to reimburse the travel costs for Yugoslavia, which really, really was forced price and that. So, but yet again, another big game cancelled, and that was just going to be another part of another fixture pile up, as we're going to talk about uh, in a little bit. Yeah, but like on the back of that, you think they, the squad had got together obviously for the at the end of May for them to, okay, they were having the friendly game, and then they were going to have two qualifying games. So it was a key time, key, key kind of matches as well. The two, the Macedonia one and the game that was obviously cancelled. So, um, you know, that was a real, real key time. Man United had just won the treble, so I know I'm keep bringing Man United into this, but Roy Keane got <laughs> injured in the FA Cup final the week yeah. before. So he was he was going to miss the game anyway, um, just just kind of coincidentally. Obviously, he was suspended for that Champions League final. But yeah, I can see as well. You know, was that, that Northern Ireland game was just a few days after the, the Man United won the treble. But you know, Irwin did play. Irwin came back and he played for Ireland. So um, it, yeah, it was an interesting kind of time. But that that I'm always conscious these May games are they're a horrible kind of thing. I, I think I said it before as well. And June is our time for tournaments. Or the end of the season. So the players are in the tournaments or they go on tour. It's the last thing they want to do is have these games. But obviously the fixtures dictated then. So they had this game lined up, the friendly match against Northern Ireland. And then they had these two key games. It's a long time together in camp as well. Um, so again, the break then from, you know, they had nine days break from to, from the 9th of June, from the 29th of May. So it's a long time trying to get ready for a game and keep up for the game. And the last thing you want after just the season's finished is to drag it out another two weeks. Yeah. And you don't have a game in between. It's a big gap. Yeah. Yes. So that brought us up to the Macedonia game. And was there a bit of apprehension, lads, in the in the home fixture against Macedonia? Because naturally, what happened in the last campaign was there a little bit of apprehension, a few nerves, maybe leading into nah. the into the build up? No, I I I don't remember that. I never. I don't remember feeling that. Um, obviously, going into the away fixture, yes. The the thing with Mix Ireland was during his first tenure was we could beat anyone at home, and more often than not, we did. I think Portugal was the only one, and Romania, obviously, were the only big teams that we didn't beat at home. But we always felt we could beat anyone at home, Nick, and I mean anybody, because we yeah. always just upped it. The the atmosphere was great. We played a good style of football, got the crowd into it. It was a horrible fucking stadium to play football in, Nelson Road, especially if you're a big time charity from a from a top top club coming over to play in that. Like it's it's not ideal, and we could beat anybody. But when we went away, we went away. That was the worry. That was still the worry because of that young... Because we had such a young team, maybe we couldn't close games out. That's something that we're going to talk about. But that was always the worry with a young side, a bit inexperienced, you know? And But at home, no, absolutely not. I actually... I was a bit disappointed with the 1-0. I was expecting like a repeat of the 3-0 home victory that we had against them in uh, 97, 96. Yeah. Yeah, so Noel Quinn getting the winner and that one an hour in, so must have been tense up until halftime at least. Yeah. And then we come to September and we finally get to play Yugoslavia and thankfully we managed to beat them. So Mark Kennedy with an absolute screamer that day in a 2-1 victory. That was a great game of football. Do you remember that, Martin? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. I watched that back. I mean, that that's another one of Yugoslavia just didn't want to be in Dublin. And you can see Lansdowne's kind of rocking in the footage of it and stuff. But I mean, oh. the, the first goal is a really good goal as well. 
brilliant goal. The, the brilliant now Quinn, goal. now Quinn and, and Robbie kind of linking up brilliantly, and it's a really good finish. Um, but you know what happens, and I remember this time in Lansdowne, uh, you know what you're saying about people coming to Lansdowne. No one would, we fancied our chance against anybody. The best in the world could come there because it was such a horrible place to play. So and the crowd would, it was loud. It was a like a proper like cauldron of of noise. It was it was fantastic yeah. to be there with that, but. You know, and, and Stankovic, when he scores for Yugoslavia, he does the whole thing of putting the finger on the lips. So he knows he silenced the crowd. But it was already, they were 1-0 down anyway. And then Kennedy got that. I mean, that oh. goal from Kennedy is just brilliant. Um, oh, so, I so remember. Just... Couldn't hit it any more perfect. Couldn't get any further in the corner, basically. The funny thing about Mark Kennedy, and a lot of people forget this, he was actually named in the 2002 World Cup team and he had to pull out. Yeah. yeah Didn't because... Stephen Reid replace him in the end? Groin yeah. injury, I think. Yeah. Wasn't he well, Mick's babysitter for years? No, that's the story, isn't it? There's never a story of him being a babysitter of Mick's and Millwall, and Wolves, yeah. Yeah, Millwall, and that's it, yeah. 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 And, he, <laughs> and he took him with him. <laughs> well, I don't know if that's true, but I'd like to find out that it was true. But, uh, it was but what's brilliant, time. looking back at that Kennedy goal, is um, do you remember Lansdowne when the, uh, they were sponsored by... Um, it was Aircom at one stage and and Opal as well, but they had the the bit the bibs the the stewards had the bright orange. And when you watch Kennedy's goal, you can see the stewards going absolutely mad because you can just pick out the orange, and they're just going ape shit in the ground. It's it's fantastic to watch back that. It's just a great goal. Some, something I remember from that game, just from a Yugoslavian perspective, was it Mihailovic, and he was he hit about three or four free kicks from about forty yards out. Like actually had a goal. So I remember watching that game, and and you know when you're a kid and you're watching football, you're just constantly bricking it. So yeah. I remember he was hitting hitting these hitting these free kicks from about 40 yards out, actually having gone. I don't know if there was wind that day or what it was. I mean, Lansdowne was a wind trap at the best of times, but I yeah. remember just thinking, Jesus, is this guy actually actually having a shot here? That's always the thing with the when you have any team from East Europe, they just have always have these dead ball specialists, don't they? That can just hit them from the most ridiculous angles, and and even in play, like they've always. You'd always fear that against a an Eastern European side, tidy, disciplined, technically always very sound, and he always they like a shot from about 30, 40 yards out. Yeah. What what and you know I remember Hadji's goal in ninety seven was a fucking screamer, as well. You know, but yeah, that that Kennedy, that Kennedy goal was amazing. That was a great game of football. I mean, no way would the game in June have been like that because obviously you're at the end of the season. This is sort of September is when the season really gets going, even in, even in the domestic league. Because you know August teams are just coming back; they're a bit mm. groggy. September, boom, that's that's when they're they're sort of getting into their uh, groove. We always tend just... to play well in September. I've always felt. Yeah, we we have actually at home at home definitely at home because the players are, are relatively fresh. They're 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 not too fresh or they're groggy and they're not too tired because you know it's it's perfect it's a perfect time and that was just a great any anyone on there listening to this go on YouTube find it I believe the full match is still on YouTube. I think it's got Serbian commentary. Yeah it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> but oh what just lower it down what a game of football and what a performance and the goals are just oh great. Yeah. Uh, and unfortunately, lads, that's when things get a bit fucked up and get a bit crazy. <laughs> this is when the real drama starts. So a couple of days later um, in Croatia, three minutes into injury time, this happens. It's been a monumental performance by the Irish. Cunningham backtracks. He isn't going to get there. Suka does. And disaster. The Croatian substitutes are on the pitch. Tabor Suka into injury time. 
It's disaster. We held out for so long. What can you say? Well, this is just a big love forward. The players deal with this every week. Suka took a chance. Gary Brain just couldn't get there. One touch under control and Van in the back of the net. But this is a straightforward ball. We've been dealing with this sort of stuff every all night. But his touch was good. He got behind the defence and he took it away. And it's, it's a cruel, cruel game. Kenny Cunningham has hardly missed a header all night. It was the first touch from Davar Schuker. Instantly killed the ball. But was travelling at such a pace. All it needed was the slightest of flicks to guide it past Alan Kelly. Yeah, that, that's, again, that game, Croatia. I mean, you look back, they done they played so well that night. Um, and again, it, it's just, we have this habit of when we play against a, a top team, their, their main man does seem to do it against us. Like, and Sue Kerr got that goal late on. It, you know, the one, you'd, you'd want that chance falling to anybody else and they might not score it. But if it falls to him, that's the kind of elite players they have that about them. Robbie had it for us a little bit, I think, as well. Yeah. Um, that chance falls to anybody else, probably might not score it. He oh. he, he bloody did. But, I mean, it's, it's a, such a horrible goal to watch back because you can just... You're actually screaming at the footage saying, head, <laughs> head, head that ball, head that ball. That, that's, you've got a long... Was it Kenny yeah. Cunningham? It, yeah, it, it Kenny, yeah. You've got a long time to look at that up in the air oh, and you've just yeah. got to... And, and he kind of forgot he could go backwards a little bit quicker. A bit, of controversy okay. around, a bit of controversy around the added time as well, wasn't there? Was, wasn't there yeah, five was, minutes yeah. added on? And when, isn't it kind of that, that you know, unofficial rule, 30 seconds per substitute? So it should have yeah. been about three minutes, but it ended up being five. The referee was a, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, that referee was a fucking bollocks that night. He, I remember watching that because my brother went out, it was his birthday, he went out and he bought me a blue chair like they have in wrestling, you know, the fall of chairs. And I was really chuffed at this. We didn't have a lot of money, folks, growing <laughs> up, okay? So, I, so a blue chair for my birthday, I was really chuffed at this blue chair and it was the match that I sat down watching on it, watching the game on it upstairs because I was still banned from watching it downstairs. And I remember just the referee was fucking shocking. And it was a real, it was like something out of a movie. Because you had this newly built stadium, which looked dreadful. It was a really blocky, like someone made it out of uh, out of uh, Lego. And I remember you had the generals and the colonels and the fucking dictators or whatever you, you, you want in Croatia just sitting there. And you, you're like, this is Ireland's young team going over there. And the thing about it was, if we got a result, Croatia were out. They were out of the running. They couldn't touch us. And I remember Mick went and played a 4-5-1. We played a very deep game. Which was very unlike Mick, because normally we, we always went to win every game. And I thought, okay, um, this is a little bit of a risk, but we'll go with it. And we were so good. We were so disciplined. And we just, I think we have one or two little close shaves, as you're going to do when you have uh, a team of the quality of Croatia, especially at home. And I just remembered uh, there was an incident. I did watch it back where Noel Quinn got fouled. The guy got the yellow card, the Croatian guy. But they got the free kick, Croatia did. I remember just sitting there, just kind of screaming at the television. And I was thinking, what the fuck is going on here? It was dreadful. And then I thought, we're going to see this out. And that ball, I'm, I'm getting goosebumps, but not, not nice goosebumps. Chills, probably. <laughs> and the ball going over the top. And I think um, uh, Conor McNamara's um, 
the B- he's a BBC commentator now, but he was only like 22, I think, at the time, with Frank Stapleton, and just you know, you see the ball going over and Suker scoring, and it just broke my heart. In fact, I wanted to put my um newly acquired blue wrestling chair through the telly. <laughs> my mom had to stop me. What are you doing? It's like fucking referee you know it was just it was it was dreadful and i remember afterwards mick couldn't even do an interview with tv3 because um the the players were just so distraught it kind of echoed it kind of echoed brussels a couple of years previous as well yeah Uh, yeah. it did yeah i mean i I can't for the life of me find out can't remember why why robbie was missing because he scored four days before he um didn't he trip over his coffee table. Oh, right. <laughs> it was it was something stupid. He tripped over a coffee table and he injured himself. Right. Or it was something. It was either that. It wasn't a shower. That was Canizares. I think he broke his foot. Yeah, Canizares. Yeah. yeah. The aftershave, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, I think Robbie Keane did something stupid. He tripped over his uh his coffee table. Something like that. I could be wrong. Anyone listening, please correct me on it. But remember, at that time, I didn't put in the notes. But yeah, he he tripped up, and he got a really silly injury. Yeah. And and Roy was missing as well. So I mean that that's taken to, you know, I know he went defensive there, but you know they need, they were so close to grinding out that result. And and like I said, and and probably Mick probably did play the kind of percentage game, thinking, you know, they've got scored to win. They've got to they've got to beat us to kind of to to make sure they're still in contention. And you'd be confident in that team that they would get a result defensively. Um, you know, Cascarino was the forward. Duffer was in there. Alan McLaughlin was in midfield as well. But I mean, it's a very, a very solid team. Not really the most creative team you're looking at without Robbie there. But you know, they were very, very close to getting it done. And and that's what's sickening when you're looking back at the goal that conceded. That oh. they were dealing with that all day. They, they, those defenders dealt with that ball. It's the most ridiculously basic long ball yeah. game. If you would say how do you play long ball, that that's what that's how that goal was scored because they just hoofed it. And we didn't yeah. deal with the header, and and it's just and it's so sickening. And you can argue the time and things like that, but no, it was, yeah. it was poor, really. Yeah, and a Brown quick recovery. Butter. Yeah, a quick recovery was needed then after that result. So was it three or four days later they played Malta? And this this is one of my early football memories. I just remember being obsessed with Steve Staunton after this because I think he got an assist that day. I think he got an assist for Robbie Keane, and I didn't he score the winner as well. But the lads naturally absolutely bollocks probably completely heartbroken from a couple of days before, probably reminiscing over Brussels as well, <laughs> you know, bad memories from that. So we scraped by Malta 3-2. Yeah, I remember watching that. Yeah, TV, I'm telling you, the, the course of TV3, lads, we're going to do a podcast on that, <laughs> the, the course of TV3. But same, this, as the this, rug, probably, same as the rugby lads at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I just remember this. Um, I remember Conor McNamara again, just going when we were 2 0 up after 20 minutes going oh it's so easy and then it just kind of fell apart i always remember that line oh it's so easy and we just kind of fell apart then he got like two quick goals in, in six minutes i think steve stone was a fault for one of those goals actually as well yeah that's true yeah um two very poor yeah. goals the penalty as well to tie it up yeah. yeah i mean i think that was one of those it was smash and grab i didn't understand that at the time i thought oh, jesus christ this is very very bad but looking back in it back on it now and understanding travel and all that stuff you know you're you're in dublin on the uh you know you're in dublin on the the first of september and then you're flying out to croatia on the fourth of september and you just run your bollocks off in that game you've actually run your bollocks off in a game against uh yugoslavia 
because that was an end, that was a frenetic uh, game. And then you've done it again against Croatia because you're working hard, you're chasing everything, you're chasing shadows. And then, you know, you're mentally zapped because of Dabra Sukar, the bastard. And then all of a sudden, five days later, you've got to fly out to Malta and you're, you're pretty fucking knackered, you know. And I don't think they got much help with the five-day rule either um, with that. So they probably had club commitments as well before the Yugoslavia match. So I think it was one of those. That's, that's probably like the Gibraltar game. You get a pass on that next move on you know like you, you yeah. wouldn't dwell on that and great winner by stan as well yeah. so just in the in the intervening time before we have our second macedonia oh. unfortunately so packy bonner sacked by reading as assistant manager and mick triggering his two-year extension so we mentioned in, in the last episode that he was initially given a four-year contract wasn't he when he was appointed but then that was brought back to a two-year because he was the first ever full-time manager which is still crazy to kind of think about at the moment but he did trigger that extension after that game in the October so that brings us into the 9th of October where as I said we have our second Macedonia (laughs) so another last minute uh, goal to kind of break our hearts unfortunately this um yet again I actually was my ban from watching the game downstairs my grandfather was lifted and I went down (laughs) to watch it I wish I hadn't after after the appeal after the appeal, yeah, and uh, yeah, this was. I just remember Arna were dreadful. We were we were so bad during this game. It was nerves. I think it was nerves. It was just the whole thing not being able to see it out. And I think if Yugoslavia had to get, if we won, and Yugoslavia didn't win, we were going to the Euros. We were going to win the group, our first group to win since actually, funny enough, Euro '88. And if Croatia got the win, I think we were still we'd still go. Um, but we had to win. We just had to win in Macedonia. But yeah, as long as Yugoslavia didn't win, we were and we won. We were going. That was it. it seemed and too good to be true at the time. It did. Yeah, it did. It really did. I, I, you know what? I, I don't know how, how you lads felt about it, but I just felt. As good as an Ireland, and they were one of the, we were one of the best teams in Europe at that stage. The rankings may not have shown it, shown it at the time, but we were we were really top team. But there was just that little bit of vulnerability I felt because they were yeah. they were a bit too young. That sort of went away in the next campaign, but during this campaign, it was a little bit of vulnerability. Noel Quinn got the worst goal ever. He was I think he was on his arse and he just poked it in with his foot, and then um, we were very very bad. We had a few close shaves, and then that fucker um, Stravarsky. He, he, man, the twelve seconds, thirteen seconds left. We're going to the European Championships, and then that happens, and my heart broke. I, I, I wailed. I was heartbroken. I was so heartbroken when it happened. I was, uh, I was devastated that we, we had thrown it away. My granddad thought it was a fucking idiot uh, <laughs> for crying. You know, ex, ex, he was in, he was a World War Two vet, so he thought I was a gobshy for crying. Fair enough. But yeah, I, I was um I was devastated. I, I don't know how Mick felt. So I remember the just remember the image of Mick kind of walking off and booting the fucking giving the uh the bench the boot and the bottles and all that, like Keith. <laughs> Probably the coffee pot as well. <laughs> which was which was worse, lads, like thinking back, because I mean, as I mentioned, Brussels was very hazy for me, where I do remember the uh, the Macedonia game, but which which was worse for, for you, lads? Macedonia won. Oh Scopia man, that yeah, from me. Yeah, Scott. first one. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. 
Yeah. I suppose there was less on it because, I mean, the Belgium match would have just gone to extra time. A little bit like 2010, isn't it? Like, you never know what, what was going to happen, but that was kind of a foregone conclusion if we won. Well, it, it, we lost, like, it was in our hands. It was never really in our hands with Belgium. It was like, oh, yeah. you know, we're an opportunity to, to, to get it in our hands. It was in our hands. It was actually in our hands. All we had to do was just walk through the door and we just stripped over the fucking thing and literally at the door. And yeah, it, it was it was devastating. It was really devastating. Yeah, so brings us into the playoff pot and we draw Turkey, the lovely Turks. Oh. And we've had bombs, we've had TV ride issues, we've had loads of off-the-field drama. And just to make it even worse, we've got tremors that were still coming through from an earthquake that happened in Turkey in the August. <laughs> so this is the November. So I'm surprised you didn't have a fucking nuclear bomb go off during all this. Yeah, um, yeah this was... I remember Turkey, and I know Martin definitely, and uh, we were talking off air about this, Martin, but Turkey around this time when it came to football was ground zero. It was no man's land. You didn't, you fucking abide it at all costs. Uh, my earliest memories of Turkey was 91 when the Irish team travelled there and they won 3-1 in the Euro 92 campaign. Unfortunately, we, we found out England beat Poland when we needed basically them to drop points there for us to qualify, we didn't. But we were brilliant that night. We battered Turkey. But unfortunately, so did the, the hooligans. We battered the team and the hooligans battered the Irish fans. And the Irish yeah. fans got an awful time that night. They got pissed thrown at them. Um, they Loads of Irish players, loads of Irish fans couldn't get into the stadium because they bought tickets. And there was a, this isn't from the Irish Times, by the way. And they basically told... Oh, you know, we've got loads of free tickets. This on Turkish radio before the game. Oh, yeah, come to the state. We've got loads of, you know, free tickets for the Turkish fans. They were the Irish fan seats. Yeah. So Irish fans couldn't get into it. It was all these, you always had these tricks, dirty fucking tricks, um, you know, up their sleeve. Martin, I'm sure you remember the uh, the early Champions League days with Cameron yeah. and all that. This was, a, this was a no-go for me. I wouldn't have even entertained going there, you know. Um it was just always uh, just a European football. I always thought it was a dangerous place to go. I think we've been there, you know. I think since maybe it's okay, but you know, it was just gonna. All, we knew it was gonna be intimidating. We knew we needed a result in the home leg, and then to go there away, we knew, you know, we we just knew it was gonna be a horrible trip to go to. Um, you know, just a dangerous place is how I've always thought of it <laughs> back then. Anyway, from '93 onwards, you know, when when the Champions League really kicked off, you could just see the intimidating posters and, you know, when, welcome when, fo- yeah, welcome to hell. When football coaches, the actual team buses are, are being stoned and, you know, smashed up on the way to the game and players are cowering on the floor of the, rightly so, of their coaches and UEFA weren't stepping in and kicking them out of Europe. It was a disgrace, really. And yep. we knew that we were going into that. And then you're going up against that with, you know, these referees. I mean, God only knows how the players feel, but a referee then, He's he's got to try and manage that whole situation as well. Um, I mean that that away game, it was it was so many uh, parallels with the, the Belgian uh, playoff as well. You know where we were just up against it and stuff like that. But um, just horrible kind of situation I think to be in. And you you you've really got to work to get a result there. Um, and, and you've got to deal with the referee and you've got to deal with all their, you know foul play and things like that all their antics all their tricks and stuff you're dealing with that and it's horrible to and and that's why they're not popular with it in football (laughs) you know that's that's how they that's how they've got results against big teams 
They know how to manage the game. And and Turkish people, by the way, away from football, lovely. Wonderful people. Istanbul is a city I'd love to go to. It's actually, if you can get the city of Istanbul, that should be in the European Union. It's a really... um, um, Asaturk. Asaturk, obviously the stadium where Liverpool won their uh, Champions League, Martin. Just had to get that in. All right, yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And, uh, yeah, like, really forward-thinking country. Mm. Well, uh, uh, Istanbul is very forward-thinking yeah. city. Istanbul, <laughs> women. Yeah, they they were very sort of pro like women's rights and all this kind of stuff. And you know, um, I, I think obviously against homose- with homosexuals and everything, they were very liberal in their views and all that sort of stuff. Obviously, the rest of the country now is a different story. But Istanbul, beautiful city, fantastic. Uh, and of course, we found out um, the game was supposed to be in Istanbul, but they changed it. Uh, the official thing was actually that they said it was there was a conference going on it was a business conference um but many feel it was actually because chelsea i was i this made me so happy chelsea went to galatasaray and beat them five nil that was amazing i remember just being shocked at that and they probably felt oh shit you know maybe we've lost the magic in istanbul and we need to change it to borsa which is like uh um, something like a three hour it was like 90 minute after the flight it was like a 90 minute drive to take a 90 minute ferry and then it was like another 90 minute drive it was ridiculous and I think Bernard Bourne he didn't say to us but he sent green as the colour he felt it was to discombobulate the Irish team um, you know but sure there you go yeah prior to that game lads we drew one all in Lansdowne Road a late goal the undoing unfortunately again so a Vuju penalty should we have seen them off in Lansdowne Road? Yeah. Uh, you should always be. We were, we were very... I don't think we were great that night, Martin. I don't know if you remember. No, nah, no. Nah. Yeah. We weren't we great. Were, no. no. I, I think the pressure, yet again, the problem with the young side. And Lee Carsley balls it up a little bit. Um, You know, you, you couldn't blame Lee Carsley on that too much. The team weren't great. That happens in football. But, yeah, we, we weren't great. It was a strange one as well at this time as well. And in, throughout that campaign, looking at the goalkeeper, it was... A campaign that Alan Kelly played a lot of games in, but you know, even that that home leg, then he was subbed uh, for Dean Kiley came on for him, uh, so that was interesting. And Dean Kiley then actually played in in Bursa a few days later. So just just again a little bit of you know not consistency with the team and things like that. Um, yeah, just a bit of a challenging time I think, and going into that game where you you yeah I think you've got to be going to I think going to Turkey you'd need to be you can't have conceded at home, basically, because if a team can sharp shop with all their dodgy tactics, they, they were going to be primed for that. And that that's all they did. They just, that away game, then they just frustrated, frustrated. The referee falls for it every time. And it just, that's what we saw at the end of the game. Then when you're so disappointed, that's when it all kicked off. <laughs> yeah. and Which was great to see. <laughs> yeah. Another game, not an Irish telly as well, in that away fixture. And turned out to be Tony Cascarino's last ever international. Yeah. I um understandably I mean he he was about 57 at that stage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I I remember this all kind of happened and yet again we're talking about a completely different world and if you didn't grow up in the time you you probably struggle to understand it but what happened was um Star TV had bought the rights from Turkish FA for the away leg and they had demanded 2 million dollars by a certain deadline um when that deadline was not you know from RTE which is fucking laughable by the way that's probably like their entire budget you know gone that's very that's very fucking mafia isn't it yeah yeah 
and you know it's outrageous like yeah but that's what you could do then and that's probably why uh, to, to stop that that's why uefa probably stood came in later on and took on all these rights deals because that's 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 exactly the scenario i was explaining yeah. earlier we were hunting yeah. around for the feeds and stuff and getting told yeah it's on this channel but i remember watching this game and and were we going to be able to see it and then which channel is it on and yeah just and all of a sudden that's just you're just standing in the pub and there's a black screen and then you'll hope you're going oh it's not going to be on and just the anticipation for an away game standing in the pub. Do we know if we're going to see it or not? And then a little bit of a screen flickers through. It's crazy, really. Uh, it's a, that, that's what it was. That, that, that is exactly. I mean, we, we, I was too young to go to the pub. And I remember I had to listen to it on telly, but or on, on the radio, which was fucking torture. But I remember this, though. They didn't hit the two million deadline. No surprise there. Or he could only afford 100,000. <laughs> dollars <laughs> and they, and then they, couldn't, yeah. they could have they could have thrown him jerry may they, they could have thrown in gay Bourne, i suppose i mean it was just it, you know you go like you, you, any have you lads ever seen um austin powers the first one yeah yeah, yeah. And you know when he sort of like he, Doctor Evil comes to the present day and he demands one million dollars and they kind of laugh and I'm like one million dollars? What's one million dollars like? And they, they laugh at him. And then I think it's the second one where he goes back in, or he goes back in time because he's like, you know, he he demands he gets it wrong and he's like demands one hundred billion dollars and they start laughing at him again, thinking we there's no way we can pay that. <laughs> you know? yeah. It, it was just very like that. There was no way RT were going to pay 100 grand, um, which was outrageous, really. But BBC tried to get involved. They were priced out of the market because they showed the home game, actually. I remember that. Bertie got involved. Um, he just he tried the old charm. wasn't happening. Satanza so, so Sports eventually got the rights in Australia, funny enough. <laughs> um, I remember RT were actually negotiating because I think Bill Hurley, he was waiting with the panel up to half time. They're actually trying to negotiate to show it. And I do remember they went to a pub in Dublin. Uh, it was probably the one in Walkinstown. I can't remember the, the famous one and uh, submarine bar. And Neil Ruddock was there for some reason, as he always pops up in these obscure Dublin pubs. And they actually had the match on live. And I just remember like, they were just kind of asking them the most, uh, RT would just ask him like the most random fucking mundane questions just to keep the camera so you could watch the match in the background. <laughs> you know, you're like, you're like ask, you know, you scream, scream at the television, like ask him something else, ask him about his dog, anything. You know, you're, you're trying to watch this fucking game. It was outrageous and it was very mafioso and you know it just kind of summed up the whole thing. Uh, it and at the end, of course, I remember from what from from the reports and from what I watched of it, uh, we were very good in the first twenty minutes. But they, we were hanging on for like the last 70 minutes. Yeah, it was we a bit were, of an onslaught, wasn't there? Just just looking at the highlights. Yeah, they smashed yeah. the crossbar and everything. And then, of course, Cascarino hits your man, starts a mass brawl. And the fans and the players and the police get... What was really funny, though, the Turkish embassy in Ireland had come out before the game. Literally, what Martin and I had just gone through, just explaining to anybody who wasn't around that time, you know, what the reputation Turkey had. And, by the way... I think we'd we, we both stand by that. I, I think that's a very fair um assessment. Well, look at Leeds look, look at Leeds a couple of years later. I mean, you know, that was after stuff. that, yeah. yeah. But I remember with this though, uh the Turkish Embassy in Dublin came out and said, Oh, this is outrageous. We don't have issues with crowd uh, trouble anymore. That's that's all in the past and then you have like a few days later this happens, you know, and, and the police are yeah, it, 
it, it, at the end of the day, we shouldn't have been in the playoff. We should have got the job done, Iscarp, yeah. 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 No, I was just going to say, Cascarino, just interestingly, he got sent off after the game. Yeah. And um, he's, so he technically is still suspended, um, which he, he does still mention. <laughs> on his after dinner kind of uh, the little uh, thing he does in, on talk sport and stuff every now and again he talks about Ireland and he'll say you know I'm still available but I am suspended so <laughs> just to work out in but, um, never too late for a comeback no I could fucking do it I'm in the current side we can't score a goal <laughs> so lads looking at the parallels of that game even just the stats and even just the, the nature of it the, the Bursa atmosphere um, there's so many parallels between that game and the Iran playoff. What were the learning points for Mick in this campaign that possibly benefited us coming into the next one for 2002? I remember a quote that Mick made about the game in Iran. Um, I think it's what he probably drilled into the players because obviously the Milan, uh, the, the Milan, the Iran uh, game, uh, what we, you know, I watched him tell he wasn't there, but. I know it was dreadful, like 100,000 screen fans. But the quote he, ha- he came out with was, they can't touch you. They're not on the pitch with you. Drown, you know, forget about them. Mm. And I just yeah. I just think that was a major learning curve. I think that put those players to go through that in Bursa, probably a little bit in Belgium, but, you know, the atmosphere in Belgium was a bit different. Like, it was kind of nice. It was very eu yeah, it was very inti- yeah. it was intimidating, but in a, in a, in a, in, a, in in the way it should be intimidating, not like oh shit, you know, yeah. my life <laughs> could uh, be taken away from me here, like with the Bursa game, and I think that just put him in good stead. And the issue it, as well, you've got to win your home games, you've got to win all your home games, which we did, um, except for the game against Turkey, unfortunately. Yeah, you've got to win all your home games, including the playoff, and you've got to beat all. Of the other teams, and then you know, like outside of your rivals, and you got to get a result against your rivals, and I think that was the major lesson. And we we did learn from that. Obviously, we went undefeated in the next group, but it was a young side. It was a really good young side, and actually, that was a brilliant tournament. I remember Euro two thousand, very high level. Yeah, excellent, yeah. Oh. I think we I think we could have comp- we we could have competed. I think I think we were ready for that. It wasn't the case we weren't ready. We were ready. Little bit naive in the qualifiers, but once once you got to the glitz and the glamour of the actual um, tournament itself, I think we we could have excelled there. We could have done some damage because that was a well, bloody to, good well, side. To put it into context, I mean Holland and Portugal were the two semi finalists, two losing semi finalists, and yeah, of course we we ended up. We know what happened there. So yeah, so that brought us up to the next campaign and the tenth of December, which was actually my my eighth birthday. Got a great birthday present, Holland and Portugal, which at the time was a bit shit, but as it transpired. Things went a bit better for us, so we're going to leave it there. We'll be back for the midweek show, and we'll be back for Mick Part 3 on Monday. So is there anything you'd like to add? Is there anything that you remember from that campaign and what was a dramatic enough campaign just like the first one? Or is there anything we missed? Specifically, is there anything David missed? (laughs) Send all your hate tweets to David Lanson Road. (laughs) Yeah, but we'll we'll be back then anyway, guys. And as we said, if there's anything we not just David, I mean it's a, it's a it's a team effort. We'll take we'll take the uh, we'll take the battering together. So keep the feedback coming. Let us know what you think. And until next time, come on, you boys in green. <laughs>